All right, we got a hot podcast for you today. We got Hannah Hogan is back in the house. We got a recap of what we've been up to. We're going to talk about how I got started in comedy in Charleston, South Carolina. And we're going to talk about how you can get started in comedy too. This is the We're Having a Good Time podcast. Slay, and she is Hannah Hogan. Great to be back in the studio, Dusty. Ah, uh, it's so great to have you back. Yeah, I mean, so much has happened. It's crazy. It's I haven't seen you in a month, and you've kind of become a star. I've had a good month. Oh, things my have goodness. Been, things have really been popping off, but you know what else is popping off? We actually have a sponsor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have uh, some friends of mine from Charleston, South Carolina, contacted me from the McBailey Candle Company, mm-hmm. and uh, that is macbaileycandleco.com. Go there, check those out. They have all natural candles, all made from soy, uh, so there's no toxins. You know what? We have some. Uh, uh, we like to we like to burn candles and have uh, essential oils going. A lot of the problems with candles is that there's chemicals in there. And so when you're burning a candle, you're breathing it. It's like, ooh, this smells nice, but you're breathing in these toxins, not the McBailey candles. That's right. You don't want to get those Walmart candles. You right. want to get some real fresh candles that someone who knows how to make candles make. Yes, that's MACBaileyCandleCO.com. Go there and read about them. They're friends of mine from Charleston, South Carolina. They saw me in my very early days of doing comedy. They're fans of mine, and they want to help out our podcast. So go there. Buy a candle, you know? Tell them Dusty Slay says yeah, hi. Use them, use the, uh, use the, uh, the code GOODTIME to let them know that, that we sent you. And, uh, yeah, and as the local radio show in Nashville, conservative talk radio, there's this guy, he always goes, Tell them Phil Valentine said, hey. <laughs> <laughs> but don't tell them Phil Valentine said, hey, because it was from Dusty. Yeah, Hannah. say Dusty Slice to say. So, well, we have uh, so much to talk about, but we have our segment that we always like to do called Where We've Been, Where We're Going. Mm-hmm. And since, you know, since Hannah hasn't been on here in three weeks, I took two weeks off and then last week did a recap of what I've been up to. Let's hear what Hannah's been up to. Hannah had a a tour called the Triple Threat Comedy Tour. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I I just spent three weeks essentially on the road with uh, two friends and very talented comedians based out of Los Angeles. That was Christine Little and Sophia Alexandra. And um, we had set up a Southeast tour. And we hit several different cities. We hit Nashville, Birmingham, Memphis, Atlanta, Athens, Georgia, uh, Charleston, South Carolina, and our final stop was in Asheville, North Carolina. And um, I had some reservations going into the tour. I didn't know how it was going to go. Uh, I used a lot of my contacts that I've accumulated since living in the Southeast for the past two years, but I've never actually set up a road tour myself. Um, so I sort of, you know, warned the girls, hey, uh, I don't know how this is going to go. We, we might have some stinker shows. We might have all stinker shows. Like I was sort of trying to pe- prepare them and prepare you never myself. Know. Yeah, but we had all good shows. There was, okay, there was one show that wasn't good. Um, and I won't say which one, but the rest were great. The rest were basically sold out um, or standing room. We made more money than I thought we were going to. And we had a great time. And uh, just on a personal level, it was really refreshing for me to be on the road with other girl comics, with other females. Um, yeah, some real girl time. Yeah, really bonding out there. Yeah, and and you know, and we had some ups and downs. There was some uh, uh, there was some drama within the crew at times. But as I said to them, hey, you know, this is the road. It's hard sometimes, and we came we came through everything. We became stronger and closer comics and friends after it. And not to think that the drama is just because it's women. I've been on all guy tours with drama. Yeah, I mean, when you're hanging out with someone nonstop in the car all the time and sleeping in the same room and then the car all the time, and then different people are hungry and then people are tired and then people are hungover, and then it's also the road. So. From one show to the next, you know, you might bomb one show and then you go crush the next one. I mean, it's a roller coaster of emotions. And, you know, I have more experience in that because that's literally what I've been doing for the past few weeks. 
Um, but it was really cool because I could kind of see myself in them and see, you know, them sort of figure out their rhythm on the road. And, um, yeah, I mean, a big thank you to Christine and Sophia. I had such a great time with y'all. Um, the triple threat tour was a real success. And I also, of course, a huge thank to everyone that came out to the shows and all the cities and all the, um, bookers, uh, Chris Ivy, Will Loden, uh, Luke Watson in Nashville, um, Andrew George at the Laughing Skull, uh, Ngozi in Athens, Georgia, Keith D, our man Keith D holding it down in Charleston. Keith Big Daddy D. Keith Big Daddy D in Charleston and uh, Melissa Hahn in Asheville. Thank you so much for for uh, giving us opportunity to come to your city and, and perform. We had such a great time. Now, uh, that sounds a little bit like a track off a rap album where they give all their thank yous to everyone. Yeah, yeah. One love. <laughs> But, and not to mention, and, and you had talked to me about this, so I just think that it'd be interesting to have you talk about it. And not to mention the venue or the city, because in the end, it all worked out. Things are great. Uh, they did what they said they were going to do. Mm. But you did have a little drama at one of the venues. Yeah. I mean, how do I get into this? Well, first well, of all. let's say this. Yeah. You had an agreement. Yeah. And you go in on how you're going to get paid. Yeah. And then... You get more people than than I think they expected you to get because you street teamed it. Uh huh. And and then once it comes time to paying, they they try to throw in some curveballs. Yeah, yeah. So because um, in this particular instance, I had done, um, I had set up the show. I was speaking directly to the producer, and I I figured out how much we were going to make, and uh, you know the door deals and and the question of paying any kind of guest comedians and stuff like that. So how'd you, how'd you know how much you were going to make? Cause I was taking a hundred percent of the door and I'd arranged that with him. And you counted all the people that paid. Yeah. Well, I think I just want to give some preferences. I never, I sort of think of myself as like a typical Canadian, a little bit of a pushover. I, I don't think of myself as a bulldog or I am always trying to tell myself, you know, be stronger, stand up for yourself sort of thing. And in this instance, at the end of the show, we're, we're, we're all hanging out in the green room. The money's being counted. I'm feeling great. You know, I'm feeling like we just did a great show. We just made a bunch of money. Everyone's happy. Um, and then there was a bit of a curveball thrown to me that there was some sort of production fee that was never mentioned to me the three months leading up to the show, um, which I instantly called as BS, you know, you can't throw in a fee at the end of the night when you had plenty of opportunity to let me know how much that fee was. And, um, I think the interesting thing about that for me was I knew that I was in the right. Um, but I, you know, it's awkward to go from happy, smiling Hannah to mad Hannah or, you know, indignant Hannah trying to get that money. And initially my feeling was I was nervous as I was calling them out in the room but then, you know, the interesting thing was as I started to stand up for myself and I started to see the fear in their eyes as I was calling them out and being very swift in my words, uh, I was, I thought, you know what, they're afraid of me right now because they know I'm speaking the truth. And I became um, more solidified in my point of view and in my uh, right to the money. And I think that was a really one of the biggest lessons of the tour was, you know, I can stand up for myself and I know Absolutely. how to get what I want. And I know, and I'm a good business person. I can do this. And it was really cool because I fought for that money. I demanded them give it to me and they did. And they conceded because my, first of all, I was in the right. So, and second of all, I argued it well. And I just, you know, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't back down. And I got what was ours through the deal that we made. And I also think that we left on really good terms. In the end, it was a bit of a misunderstanding between the venue and uh, the, the producer that I was working with at, in that town. But um, if I if I had just kind of rolled over and said, you know what, that's okay. Let's just make sure everything's okay so we can come back here. Or if I just said, oh, okay, no problem or something like that. You I know, will say some of these producer fees that these bars do, that's really BS. Well, I mean, it really. is BS. Because you know? it's like, come on, we're bringing business in here. We got a deal. They wouldn't be in here if I didn't go out, if I weren't doing this show, you know? And I thought about you, Dusty, because I remember um, one of our first trips with you up to Canada with me. I took you to my hometown and we went to a breakfast spot 
and I ordered what I wanted. And uh, then you said, I'm not going to order. And you seemed really angry at the restaurant. And it turns out that you discovered that there was an egg sandwich <laughs> that was $11. $11. The egg sandwich had one egg on it. I buy eggs all the time. I'm all about a business making money. You know what I mean? I understand. You opened a business. You're not running a charity. You're not selling eggs at cost. But $11? I was like, I don't think so. Yeah, and I really think that America has helped me to uh, be a little bit more street smart. I mean, I, I mean, I'm on the streets, literally, because I'm working the road. And, and the girls that I was with, just they kept saying, oh, you're so smart. You're so good at business. And I never think of myself like that at all. But, you know, when I look back on this trip and the things that I've learned through working the road, working with different producers, keeping an eye out for shady people, keeping an eye out for shady dealings or people trying to pull a fast one over you. I mean, I guess that's sort of stuff that I'm hip to now. And yeah, so that was a really cool moment because I got fired up, but I didn't lose my temper. I spoke swiftly. I was even dropping jokes while I was calling people out. I mean, I was... Once I realized I could do it, I wasn't afraid. It's that initial awkward 30 seconds when you go from happy to mad that it feels awkward. But then once I doubled down, I was like, nah, they ain't getting this money and I'm, I'm right. Yeah, and sometimes when someone, you know, it, it could be a situation where they're not really trying to take advantage of you. Maybe they do the producer fee every time and then they're like surprised that you don't know about it. But it's like, well, I don't. that was sort of what happened, but yeah. it, it wasn't my problem. It right. wasn't my problem that they hadn't communicated that to me. That right, was their own problem. Had you known about the producer fee, maybe you would have chose a different venue. Well, that's what I said to them. I said if we had known about the producer fee, we would have charged more money for a ticket. Mm-hmm. You know? Totally. So all that information would have been fine. But all in all, this whole trip was great. It was great. You, you stood up for yourself, so you felt good. You had a good show there. Yeah. And then you got to stand up for yourself, which feels good. Yeah. It always feels good to stand up for yourself and win and... Um, and I've been standing up for myself a lot more this year. Yeah. I stood up to, for myself at the DMV in Canada about two months ago. Yeah. I asked for the manager and she said, the manager's not there. And I, I said, well, I want you to take care of this right now. And she's like, I can't take care of it right now. And then I'm like, really? You can't take care of this right now? And then she turned to her coworker. She's like, I can't do this right now. And the coworker's like, actually, yeah, you can. And I'm like, see? Yeah. Let's get this done. Sometimes you got to get firm with people. You do. You really just because a lot of it is just incompetence. Incompetence and, and laziness. Lazy. Yes. Yes. Laziness. I mean, if you just push past people's incompetence and laziness, you can get so much done. Yeah. And I never lose my temper, but yeah, it's exactly just stay firm. I get fired up. We walked out of the bank the other day because we were trying to combine our bank accounts. And all of a sudden the guy was like, do you have your social security card on you? And I'm like, dude, no one carries. Actually, the social security card says, do not carry this around with you. So no, I don't have my social security card. So they wouldn't combine our bank accounts. I got fired up. I walked out. Mm. And uh, now I can't go back to that bank. I'm I'm allowed to go back, but I'm embarrassed. But uh, we got it worked out. And you know what? I didn't need the social security card. And you know why? Why that made me so mad? Because I lost mine years ago. I don't even have one. And yeah. So anyway, point is. But they were running you around at a bank where it's all they have to do is be good to you so you can give them right. your a money. A bank that I've been banking with for like 15 years. You know what I mean? Yeah. So whatever. Yeah. Longer than 15 years, actually. Sometimes I had you got to just get fired up to show them you ain't going to be pushed around. Totally. Totally. And they worked with me. So. I mean, that's what I've learned from you, Dusty, and I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, it's just like it is so much of it is laziness and so much like – the people in that bank, this is what bothered me. There was a guy and there was a girl and they were looking at the computer and they needed some extra identification, right? And then the girl looked to the guy and said, it's your call. And then he looked at me and was like, do you have your social security card, right? I'm like, no, but I know my social security number. I can rattle that off to you. But it was his call. She said, I heard, she said, it's your call. So it was his call and then he chose to make me present that card. Yeah. And that's what, you know, I don't want people to just be able to run into the bank and just do whatever they want with my account. But I had my driver's license. I had all kinds of identification with me. I even had a passport that it wasn't good enough for them. Mm. And the, the social security card, it doesn't have my picture on it. You know what I mean? I was fired up. I don't have that kind of time. Yeah, but I like that. I, I mean, that that's invigorating. I mean, I felt awkward and I kind of had to skirt out of the bank because you stormed out and I said, all right, 
Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because it, cause, but I mean, you're the thing about you is though, when you get too fired up, you just walk away. Right. Because I don't want to be yelling at people in the bank. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You were like, I'm about to yell. I got to go. My dad would walk out of a place growing up all the time. He would yeah. walk out of a place. He would, he would leave. He would get mad at people. He would write these checks at the Walmart and they'd be like, do you have your ID on it? He's like, it's all on there. And they're like, yeah, but we need to check. He's like, nah, everything's on there. <laughs> Every time. And then he would end up showing the ID, but he wouldn't go down without a fight. Yeah. Well, that's what I like about America. Yeah. You got to watch your back. You got to protect your money. You got to get that green. That's right. And if someone's trying to steal your bag, you call them out for it and you make them you make them prove to you why they're taking it and why they deserve it. Yeah. And I said, mm-mm. I set up this tour right now. You ain't taking my money. These are our tickets. We street team this. We oh, promoted yeah. this. I put up a Facebook ad. We yeah. came up here and crushed it. And these production fees, like I understand people need to make money. I get it. But I was, at one point I was trying to get a show in Nashville going and I kept going to these places and they would, they would want to charge me a production fee. And I'm like, all I need you to do is turn the microphone on. That's it. There's no production here. I'm going to bring people into the bar. They're going to buy drinks from you on a night when they're probably not buying them. And I kept getting rejected from these venues because they all wanted a production fee or they were like, you know, it's like, you know, I get it that you want to make money, but let's, let's start small and we'll build it up and we'll start making money. Mm. But you know what? Now Zany's lets me do a show. So it's fine. Their loss. Yeah. All right. So where I've been, I went to Mansfield, Ohio last weekend. I just did. I did a show there. Uh, it was a great show. The show's been going for about 20 years. A guy named Sam runs this show. It's a 1,400-seat theater in Mansfield, Ohio. The guy sells it out. He brings in three new comics every year that he handpicks. He he really combs comedy clubs. He found me on a website uh, at Hilarities. I was, I was doing a show at Hilarities, and they had a little video of me. He found it. He watched it. He really liked me. And then the next time I was at Hilarities, he came to my show. Hilarities is a great club, by the way. I love that club. I saw those guys at JFL. They're great people. The club's great. Cleveland is great. Everybody talks. I felt like I really, I mean, no offense. Um, but from what I had heard about Cleveland for so long, I felt like it was going to be a trashy city, right? I just felt like it was just going to be a not cool city. But it is so great. They have such great architecture. The people are great. I love the crowds that came out. Great city. Mansfield, Ohio, very close to Cleveland, about an hour away. And so I went and did that show, um, and I loved it. I had such a great time at that show. I mean, that was my – I was – you know, I've been dealing with a lot of things because, you know, uh, Fallon was a, a success for me. The Tonight Show was a success. A lot of people have been contacting me. I've had a lot of interest like never before. And I've been overwhelmed with things, and I get stressed out, and I was very stressed going into this Ohio show. And then I just went out there. I did 35 minutes on a stage in front of 1,400 people, and it was just dynamite. You know what I mean? Felt great. Mm. So I just, you know, I feel good, and uh, I felt really invigorated, and and, and I'm, you know, I'm feeling good. You've been on the go, too. Been on the go, constantly on the go. This is the first time we've been together, the first time we've had – I mean, we've been here since Sunday night. You got in real late Sunday night. We've been – you know, we've had three or four nights together, which we haven't had in quite some time. So Yeah, I miss you. Mm-hmm. We don't need to talk about it on the podcast, yeah. but I do miss you. Well, this has been great. I because, miss you, Because, I mean, too. we are podcast hosts, but in case you don't know, we, we actually are married as well. We are married. Some people don't know that. I mean, people <laughs> uh, have been contacting me. About gigs that know you. Oh, gigs, huh? They've been contacting you about gigs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people have been reaching out to me and saying, mm-hmm. you know, um, I want you to come do my gig here. And then they'll say, I met your wife, Hannah. So Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure that's happened a bunch. I mean, I've traveled a bunch and I talk about you and you're just some phantom. And then all of a sudden you pop up on Fallon and they're like, wow. There I am. Yeah, I mean, what I say about Fallon is, and this is the honest to God truth, is Dusty's set on uh, Jimmy Fallon was so great that I've started to get booked. People are booking <laughs> me. I'm not even kidding you. People have been reaching out to me being like, uh, well, I saw you uh, last year at so-and-so, and I just saw your husband there. I'd love for you to come to Ohio. I'd love for you to come here. What if you guys came here? And 
Well, the great thing is, you know, I got to do Jimmy Kimmel earlier in the year, and it really prepared me for doing something like that. You know, I mean, I had a great time on Jimmy Kimmel. I had a great time, but I, that was my first time ever doing something like that on TV. So the nerves were a bit different. Uh, by this time around, um, I still had the nerves. The nerves were still there. But I, like I said last week, I mean, by the time I got to the curtain and they pulled that curtain back, the nerves had turned to adrenaline. And I was feeling it. You know what I mean? I was ready to go. And when I walked out of that curtain, my mind was clear. I was like, let's do some comedy. You know what I mean? That's great, Dusty. And I felt good. So, and then I got to, and I got to do it and I felt good. I got to go sit on the couch. Uh, and Jimmy Fallon really told me that he liked my shoes in the house joke, uh, which is, uh, which is great. It's a fun joke. I mean, you really nailed it. And I think like knowing how nervous you told me you were and the build up to it and then you being able to execute it like you did, I think should give you confidence knowing that you're good under pressure. You can rise to challenges. Yeah. I mean, I still feel nerves, uh, you know, when the stakes are high, when it's, a, you know, even the Mansfield, Ohio show. I mean, it was 1400 people out there. I mean, I felt the nerves, but it's like it's channeling that nervous energy into um, adrenaline or into something to help you to focus because, you know, uh, a friend of mine, Justin Burke is his name. He has a, he has a band and, uh, I knew him in Charleston and he told me this was back when I was still drinking. He said he doesn't like to drink before he goes on stage because he said even a beer, because a lot of people will have a beer to help calm the nerves. He said, I don't like to do that because that takes away from the high that I feel after doing a show. And that's the way that I feel. The more the nerves are, the more the payoff in the end. You know what I mean? Like a lot of the smaller shows or venues that I do over and over again, I don't get any nerves at all, you know, and I can still feel excited after the show. But there is something about being so nervous because the nerves are because you want to do a good job. The nerves are not because I'm scared of the people. It's not because I'm scared of the venue. It's not because I don't trust the jokes. The nerves are because I want this to be good. I want to do a good job. And uh, and so when you have those nerves and then it does go well, that nervous energy now turns into this excitement, you know? Yeah, I think it's almost a form of focus. Yeah. When, you, when your body starts cueing in with those nervousness and that energy and that, you know, you're running through your head what you're going to do or maybe the first riff you, you're going to try and – and, you know, now that I'm thinking of it, maybe my least favorite show on this tour for me was when I felt the least nervous. Yeah. Was when I sort of thought, I got this, or this will be easy, or this is, you know? And, yeah. Uh, and then it turned out to be more of a struggle. Sometimes I'll actually make myself nervous on purpose. Like, if I'm backstage and I'm too comfortable, I'm like, I got this, I feel I'll make myself nervous almost to be like, because whenever I feel like I'm, whenever I'm too confident, you're right. When I'm too confident, that's when I blow it because I don't, I'm not as focused. I'm like, this is fine. I got this. I like to write a set list before every show just to help regain my focus. Even though I could go up right now, do 45 minutes to an hour off just my jokes that I know, you know, but I like to write a set list just to get my focus, to get my, to get my set. In yeah. order, you know? Yeah, and I'm sure everyone maybe has a, the ritual, and it doesn't even have to be as elaborate as a ritual, but just something that they do to get them there. Right. You know, I know some comics li listen to music on their headphones right. before they go on stage to get pumped up. Or, you know, they walk away and they start pacing, or they kind of go into the bathroom and they shake it out. Yeah, I mean, a major league baseball player can probably walk to the plate and just swing the bat and hit a home run. But they like to take a few practice swings before they go up there. Loosen up, warm up, you know? So that's what I think saying some of your jokes out loud sometimes before you go on stage helps you. That's like taking a few swings. Mm -hmm. Some people get into this idea, like if they see you doing that, they're like, oh, you don't you don't know these jokes by now or whatever. And it's like, no, I know them, but I'm trying to do it the best that I can do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not I'm – not, Trying to be like, look how confident I am. I'm trying to be like, look how focused I am. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it is a performance. Yeah. You're performing. And totally. I mean, a lot of people in theater certainly have hours of warm up before they go on stage. 
hundred percent perform. And I mean, most standups don't do that, but it's, it's very nice when I see some standups that, that, you know, do roll ups and, and breathing exercises and, and vo- vocal warm ups before they go on stage. I mean, I mean, it's useful. It's helpful. It is. All right. So here is where we're going this weekend. You're going to be at. Oh yeah. I'm going to be at the punchline in Atlanta this weekend with John Heffron. All right. That's great. John Heffron's great. The punchline's great. Yeah. Marcy at the punchline's wonderful. Yeah. So I'm back in Atlanta. I was just there two weeks ago and I'm back and I'm happy to be at the punchline. Great. It's going to be a good time and shows are on Friday and Saturday night, two shows each night. All right. And I'm going to be in Chattanooga at the comedy catch. I was just there not too long ago. Love the comedy catch. It's awesome. Love Chattanooga. Chattanooga is a hot city. Yeah. I feel like it's a kind of an underrated hot city right now because it's on the come up. It and is people, on the come up. And people don't think about it. But every time I go back, there's something new. There's something fresh about it. It's great. I'll be headlining. I'm going to take Brian Bates with me. Uh, I have two shows Friday, two shows Saturday, one show Sunday. And very excited about it. So it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. Go to I don't know. Go to Google the Comedy Catch or go to my website dustyslay.com. All those dates are on there. You can buy tickets. Buy the tickets now. Buy the tickets now. Uh, you know, one it may sell out, and two I want you to buy the tickets so that you don't decide to back out later. Just go ahead and buy that ticket right now. Go ahead and get. It's only sixteen dollars. Just do it. Go ahead and get that ticket. Go ahead and get that. Go ticket. Go ahead and get that fun Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday. Yeah, we're Monday. gonna have a good time. I mean, that's the thing about Dusty's show is, I mean, he is just having a good time. Yeah, we're just going to have fun. You know, yeah. Brian Bates is fun. I'm fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. So now we go to our next segment, which is the advice for younger comics segment. I like to preface this every single time this way. I'm only giving advice to comics who are younger than me and newer than me in the comedy world just because even right now where I'm at in comedy, I am getting to a new level. And this new level, I am reaching out to people for their advice. I'm reaching out to comics that are above me in this, that are that are farther advanced than me, to ask their advice about certain things. I think it's important uh, to talk to the people that have been there, done that, and see what they have to say. So I like to do this because I know it can be hard to get going in comedy. Yeah, and on that note, I mean, yeah, some of your peers and, and comedians that you've reached out to for advice and, and wisdom has been really helpful. Very helpful. Because, you know, the manager point of view or agent point of view, industry point of view is one thing, but to talk to another comic, I think is the greatest insight because, you know, you're doing the same thing as them. Right. And you want to know the path that they've taken, that they've done. Yeah. So we're going to talk about just real quick, how, how to send avails, to send avails to clubs, availability or as avails for sure. Mm. But, you know, that can be a tricky thing, like, you you know, because you get an email, and we may have talked about this before. We may have touched on this before, but sometimes, you know, we get new listeners now. And so uh, I think it's, you know, you get an, you get a, say you get an email for a booker of a club, and you're like, all right, I want to get into that club. So you're like, I'm going to email them. What's the right way to do it? Now, I don't know that there's any particularly right way for every person. This is the way that we like to approach it. It's the way that works for us, uh, and and I'll I'll go, and then you let me know what you think, too. But I say that you 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 send this email, and you start off by being polite. Uh, just be a normal human being. Like you're like, hey, I'm reaching out to another normal human being. I'm not. This is not some magic club booker who's evil person sitting behind a desk just waiting to plug you into a spot. This is a normal human being, you know. So you want to reach out to them, go, hey, whatever their name is. Hey, John, I hope you're doing well, right? And then say something nice about the club. If you don't know anything nice about the club, find out something nice about it. Say something nice about their city, about their club. Give them a compliment. You know, it helps because, you know what, there's something nice to be said about every club and about every city. Find that thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And then you tell them who you are. Hey, I'm a comedian. My name is blah, 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 and I'm from this place. Uh, and then you go on to say, whatever your credits are, I've been on this, this, and this. Uh, I perform at these places. Um, you know, if you don't have any credits and you don't have any clubs that you performed at, do the best you can. You know, whatever you got. Say, hey, you know, I don't have a lot of club experience, but I run a show here in town and I'm just looking for some opportunities. 
Because sometimes, you know, you're not, you may not get a feature spot right away. You may not headline right away. You may not host right away, but seek out something. Say, I'd love to come and do a guest spot, or I'd love to try to find a showcase or an open mic that you do. If you do do the open mic, try to ask, uh, is there somebody going to be there that can see me? Because if you go to a club and just do an open mic and you crush it, but there's no one there to watch, probably not going to help you. So ask, say, hey, will there be someone there to watch me? Because I'm, I'd like to get booked. And then include a video that I like to include two videos. I like to include a video for the length of time that I'm looking to perform. Like if I'm trying to feature, I include a 30-minute video. And you start that video from the moment you begin to talk into the microphone. Don't have the MC that's your buddy uh, giving you a real hype intro. Just cut all that out. Go right to you about to talk into the microphone. And then... Uh, try to get a laugh within the first 30 seconds. If it's not a good video and your video starts with five minutes of local references to your town, get a different video or try to edit it to cut out all those local references. Whatever you got to do, get right to a joke that anybody from any town will get. And if you don't know if it's a good video, send it to some people. Send it to maybe some headliners that you know. If you know other bookers that you have a good relationship with, maybe your home club, mm-hmm. you know, send it to people. To ask them, does this make me look good? Would you book me? Do you think I should really be trying to find a better video? And don't send a cell phone video, even if it's amazing quality. Just don't do it. If it if it's a weird if that weird cell phone video shape, don't send that. And then. Uh, and then I like to I like to include uh, a five minute or less video. Now I no one told me to do that, but this is what I like to do. I feel like if I can send them a two or three minute video of me just getting great laughs, I can say, "Hey, why don't you check out the short video? If you like it, watch the longer one." Because the longer one is just proof to the club that you can do the amount of time that you said you're going to do. You don't want to edit it, not a highlight reel, a straight up video, one camera. You doing 30 minutes on stage. And then the – I like to include a two- or three-minute video and let them know that it's a short video, just me being funny. And then they can watch that and go, oh, hey, this guy's funny. Then they'll watch the longer video. And then include some dates below. I would like to – I say include three months' worth of dates, just the weekends, Thursday through Sunday. Say, these are my avails. And if you're available every weekend, just send that. If it makes you feel better, if you're like, oh, I want to look busy, then delete a couple of weekends. Now, the reason I, I suggested we talk about this is because I was just on the road with some comics and they wanted to know, how do you get into this feature game? How do you get into working the road? And that you would ask, how much do you make as a feature? And it obviously varies from club to club, but it's not a particularly lucrative income. No. But that's what I have to, I think, asterisk here is when you're starting out as a feature, you're probably going to have a side hustle and you need to get merch. Um, And I mean, you do sort of have to prioritize what it is you want to do. If you really want to work the road, you're going to have to figure out a way that you can make it work, you know, but also understand that you're going to be living on a budget until things, you know, take it to the next level. But it does work. I mean, Dusty is an example of, you know, when I moved in with Dusty down here in Nashville, your rent at a time was $250 a month. You found a cheap place to live. Lived in an attic. Yeah. Dusty and I had roommates when we were in our 30s. I moved – when we were – when we got married, we had roommates. You know, we weren't living a luxurious life and we we lived a very – we lived a great life. We were happy together. And in love. My car has 310,000 miles. Yeah. But the thing that that has happened for Dusty is with this incredible stage time and experience on the road, he's been able to build an act to develop um, contacts and content and just become uh, a professional comedian. Did he take the long road? Yeah, he did. Um, but you kind of have to just figure out what's right for you. And I know a lot of people financially have different issues. So you, you have to, you have to sort of decide what you can do and what works for you, but it's not easy. And I think you need to understand that when you start out and you, you're going to just be a feature on the road for a year or two or however many years, you know, it's going to be a humble life. And chances are the first feature gig that you get 
uh, I would I would ask how much you're going to be paid. I mean, it's a good idea, but ask politely. What I always like to say is something like, hey, just so I can plan for a budget, what can I expect to be paid? And when they send you back that number, you're going to be very disappointed, chances are, and you're going to go, is this worth it? Is it worth it to drive this far for this much money? And financially, it's never going to make sense. Your early feature gigs, it's never going to make sense. You're going to go, what? $250 to drive all the way to Fargo, North Dakota? That doesn't make sense. And no, it doesn't. But you got to do it. If comedy is what you want to do, you got to do it, at least for a little while. Your gigs will get better. Everything will get better. You got to do it for a little while. And I mean, everything was strategic for you, right down to where you decided to live. I mean, Dusty lived on the coast. He lived in Charleston for several years. And instead of moving to New York City, where the market is more saturated, he moved to Nashville. And that wasn't just because he likes country music. He moved to Nashville because it was in the center of the country. So Dusty could travel north, south, east, and west. Right. And it's sort of equal uh, distance each way. Whereas when you live on the coast somewhere like New York or Charleston or Los Angeles and you're driving, I mean, it's a lot farther to drive from the coast into you know, places in, in the middle of the country, which are starved for country, which are starved for comedy and which pay, you know, right. gigs pay in the middle of the country. Gigs don't pay in these coastal cities. Yes. I mean, they, they obviously the clubs do, but it's like, you know, part of the reason my friends wanted to start up a tour is because they don't make money in Los Angeles doing comedy. I think you maybe make more in New York, but for, for sets and shows in, in Los Angeles, yeah. someone's getting paid because there's so much comedy. But I mean, even in New York, unless you're at a certain level, you're not really making money to do comedy either. No, and, and they go on the road. But yeah. the, the advantage of being on the road is, you know, restaurants, bars, hotels, private events, corporate. They, they're, all, they're all wanting to put on comedy shows because these towns have no entertainment. Right, and 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 the north uh, in the wintertime is amazing. It's hard to drive. It's hard to get around, but that's when the shows are the best. Yeah. I mean, I've driven in snowstorms in the north where I'm like, this is the dumbest thing. But then you get to the show, and it's sold out because everybody's like, we got to get out of the house. We got to yeah. go see something. So they pack into these small venues, and it's some of the greatest stuff. I mean, some of the – some of the work, like seemingly worst gigs that I've done, low pay, um, you know, bad driving conditions have been the greatest shows. I did a show in Pittsburgh one time way early on. I was doing an hour. I had the material, but I, I shouldn't have been doing an hour on stage, but I had the material. And I was in Pittsburgh and there was snow up to my knees as I was walking into the place. And I thought, man, there's going to be no one here. And I get in and it's sold out. 300 seat place, sold out. No reason it should be sold out. I hadn't done anything at the time. They weren't there to see me. They were just there to see comedy. And it was fantastic. It was rocking. Mm -hmm. Loved it. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's what it's all about. I mean, you do comedy. I mean, in the end, you want to make money. In the end, you want it to be a job. But you do it because you love it. Because otherwise, so much of it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, but I, I just wanted to say that because people are like, well, I want to work the road. And then they find out how much you make as a feature. And, and basically right. it's almost untenable if you're just featuring, especially if you live in a coastal city. It's, yeah. I, I think the cost of living is actually probably too much to just be a professional feature comedian. But, well, you that, know, if, if you can figure something out, if you can get a good side hustle and you're willing to take a couple lean years under the belt and you really just want to build your act, get good at the road and do that. I mean, there's lots of examples for comedians that did that. Jimmy Pardo, who I work with, worked the road for several years before he moved to Los Angeles. I'm a big fan of Joey Diaz. He often talks about how he was on the road for several years before he moved to Los Angeles with a complete act and got into the comedy store right away. Um, I wish I had more examples of female comedians. Um, I should listen to more girl podcasts. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's but lots of, there's yeah. great Mia Jackson, who now is with Amy Schumer a lot on the road. Mia Jackson was on the road a ton. You worked with Mia Jackson. I've worked with Mia Jackson. She's a killer and she's taking off now. And she went comedy full time, I think maybe in 2014, but she worked the road. She was down at the Stardome in Birmingham. Yeah. You we've know, done she the was, Stardome together. She was doing all these, you know, B and C rooms and right. the work paid off for her. Yeah. You know, and now she's traveling with Amy Schumer in her private jet. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, I mean, but, but, 
you know, but you do it because you love doing it, not because of anything else, because otherwise it doesn't make sense. Right, right. But I just think that financially, that's always a question that comes up is how do you do that? And it's like, well, we were in our 30s and had five roommates and Dusty has a wife that doesn't really care about money. And I do it because I love it. Yes. I mean, it's not about anything else. I love to do comedy. I want to be, I need to make money to be able to do it the way I, like oftentimes I've thought about, man, I wish I could get a part-time job, not for the money, just to be able to write jokes about it. Yeah. But it's, it's almost impossible to have a job the way that I travel because, you know, I get a job and I say, all right, I only want to work uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. But then all of a sudden I get a gig on Wednesday and I'm like, well, I got to quit the job. You know? Yeah, and for me, the the problem that has arisen from me working the road is I, you know, I do have an agent here in Nashville. I have an agent in in Canada as well. But you know, when I'm um, when I get a, an audition, okay, I'm here for the audition, but I'm not here for the shoot date. So right. what's the point of going to the audition? Or yeah. I'm here for the shoot date, but oops, I'm out of town for the audition. So right. you know, there is problems, logistical problems that do come up, and. Um, you know, it's up to you to find that balance. Yeah. All right. So, all right. That's that segment. Now, let's just talk about some other stuff. Last night, I did a show with Jared Freed. Uh, when I was in New York, uh, the booker for the uh, Tonight Show took me to the Comedy Cellar. And Michael I got, Cox. Michael, yeah, he took me to the uh, uh, the uh, Comedy Cellar to do comedy. And I got to meet Jared Freed. Uh, and he, is, he was hosting, and he runs the J-Train podcast. And so last night I did a show with him at Zany's, a live taping of the J Train podcast. Very funny. Tonight he'll be at Zany's doing stand-up comedy. Very funny guy. Very nice guy. So go check it out. I really enjoyed that show last night. It was, it was a really great. fun live podcast show. And then uh, I want to give a shout-out to my friend Matt Price for creating the new uh, intro song uh, for our podcast. He created the last one, and now he created the new one. He's been a lot of help to me, great friend to me. Uh, Matt Price, and um, and so just want to give him a shout out for that. I appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. Matt Price has been really great. Very, very really great. great. Very helpful. Thank you so much, Matt. And uh, yeah, and uh, I don't know if you noticed a couple of things uh, on the Tonight Show. Jimmy Fallon was holding a big card that looked like it would have been a record uh, of my album. I do not have records. I do not have real records. They actually made a cardboard printout of my album so that it would be larger, but it looks like a record. And a couple of people have asked me, where can they get that record? I don't have the record. The CDs are on my website, uh, cdbaby.com, uh, also on iTunes or on Amazon. Now, I sold out because of the, you know, because Jimmy Fallon pitched my CD, I sold out of physical copies online. Now, I've sent them more, uh, so they should be in soon, but my physical copies online sold out. But if you... You can always contact me, and I can mail you a physical copy. I'll sell it to you for 10 bucks. You just pay me on PayPal, which all that info is on my website. I have shirts, hats, stuff like that on my website if you want to buy them. And, uh, and then I'd like to talk about just a little bit about me first getting into comedy. Can I say one quick thing? I don't know why it made me think, because you talked about Michael Cox and just people that have been helping you. Another right. gentleman that's been really helpful and supportive of you is a guy named Jeff Singer. Yeah. And he is uh, in charge of uh, Just for Laughs and, and New Faces and stuff like that. But I love when Dusty talks about Jeff Singer because he has that Forrest Gump, Alabama accent. So anytime you're, you talk about Jeff Singer, you're like, Jeff Singer. Yeah. Well, these <laughs> and people- it's like Forrest Gump where he's like, she was a country singer. And that's how you say Jeff Singer. You're like, Jeff Singer. Well, that's how we say singer. I know. I like it. Yeah. It's so funny. Well, they have been very helpful to me. They've been very nice to me, very helpful to me. <laughs> Jeff Singer put me in the... Just for Laughs Comedy Festival, Michael Cox booked me on The Tonight Show. Very helpful, very nice. He drove me around. <laughs> he drove me around New York City in cabs, and we had, and he just was a nice guy, and he really helped me uh, craft a set uh, that, I mean, they were all my jokes, but he really helped me craft it in a way that uh, it really played well on The Tonight Show. So they've been, they've been so helpful and such nice people. And I was really impressed, by the way. Um, you and Michael Cox kind of collaborated to, to really just make yeah. that set perfect. Well, I love to collaborate with people. And I mean, this, this will, this will kind of play into what I'm going to say about Charleston. I mean, okay, go ahead. I mean, no, I but I decided to say, no, Sanger. no, but early on, he was in, a country singer. Some of the stuff that I'm going to talk about with Charleston is way beyond, way earlier than this, but 
Because I always say that I started comedy in 2008. And that is officially when I started comedy. That's when I said, all right, I'm going to do comedy. And during that time, we had a lot of people that did improv at Theater 99 that started to do stand-up comedy. So we had no real comedy club in Charleston. Still don't. But we have a great improv theater in Theater 99. Wonderful people. Brandy and Greg that own that theater, that run that theater, they care about improv. It's some of the best improv I've seen in the country takes place in that small theater in Charleston. It's great. It's fun. They sell out all the time, and they taught me how to do improv. But all of us improvisers started doing stand-up, so we had this great creative improv stand-up scene, and we were all friends So we would all do the open mics together. We would watch each other, and then we would give each other tags. We would help each other with our jokes. We would say, man, that's a really funny joke that you have there. What if you said this? What if you said this? And we were all creating these great jokes because we didn't have these egos about what we were saying. We were just helping people, and it was a great creative community. And it's hard to get that going. I want to – you know, I I mean I I love Nashville. I love what we got going, but I've wanted to create – more of that creative, collaborative effort so that we are looking out for each other, we are helping each other, and that we continue to grow. And I mean, I had a guy at the other day at a show, just some audience member, come up to me after and say, hey, man, I wrote down a couple of jokes for you. And I was like, great. And then he read me a few of them, and most of them I didn't like, but he had one that I was like, oh, that's great. And I immediately added that into my set, and I've been saying that since. Because I don't have an ego about it. If somebody has something funny for me that they'd like to give me, I'll take it. Now, a lot of times people just send me stuff where they go, this happened to my friend. You're a comedian. Make this funny. And it's like, I don't know. I can't just turn everything. I can't just make everything funny. But you know what I mean? Yeah. No man is an island. And along with you teaching me to stand up for myself, what I really like about you and have learned from you is that you work you're very open to suggestion. You, you want help, you want advice. And you, and when I, even when I say things to you, I feel so smart because I feel like you really appreciate my opinion. Yeah. And I think that, that you have that attitude towards other people as well. And I think having an open mind, being willing to be open to, a help and advice has served you really well. Yeah, I mean, I don't like being told what to do. I am not good with people telling me what to do. It, it The quickest way to get me to not listen to you is to tell me what to do. But I love to collaborate with people. I love when people go, hey, here's an idea. What do you think about this? I'm all about that. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that that's a real... Uh, talent. And I also think that that's a sign of a leader is someone that isn't just trying to do it their way, but that is trying to bring out the best in other people and have other people bring out the best in you. Yes. Yes. Because I mean, especially when you're dealing with your art and your own work, it's very hard to be objective, especially with your act after you've been doing it for so long, it's hard to see a different angle for a joke or it's hard to, you know, think outside of the the linear way or the non-linear way that you'd normally think and the way you normally approach comedy. So when someone else who's also funny, uh, kind of comes in with something different, I mean, it's great because then you can just see it so differently. Yeah. Well, so in 2004, I moved to Charleston, South Carolina, late 2003. Now, how old were you? I was 21 and I... Moved with a friend. Me and the friend had a falling out. We're, we're best friends now. It all worked out. But at the time, we had a bit of a falling out. I moved out. I had no friends in this new city. So I was like trying to find something to do. And I saw in this paper, the Charleston City paper, a, a paper that ended up being great friends of mine, a paper that I've been in many times. They just wrote an article about me in uh, in their paper for being on Fallon. Uh, they're great to me. And I saw an article in there, uh, uh, a write-up that just said uh, – uh, an advertisement for adult improv classes, right? And I was like, I don't even know what that is. But I signed up for it, and that was at Theater 99. So I ended up going to an old location of Theater 99 on Cumberland Street. That whole Cumberland Street used to be uh, pretty hopping. Now it's pretty dead down there. But I went down there. I took these improv classes. I, I had I had a lot of fun. My first recital in improv was so great. I loved the people that I worked with. It was this great creative thing that I had never really experienced. And I was like, this is so fun. 
and a friend that I met there. And that's where I first met Greg Tavares, Brandy Sullivan, uh, people that I'm still friends with to this day. Um, and I met a guy named John Brennan. And John Brennan uh, was like, I think this country character that you do, and I like to say character in quotes, uh, but he said, I think you. <laughs> yeah, he said, I think this country character that you do would be really fun in stand up. You should try stand up comedy. And I laughed, and I was just like, yeah, well, and because that terrified me, but I was like, yeah, you write me some jokes, I'll do it. And so, I had no idea that John Brennan was the most motivated person that I've ever met. And he called me up like the next day and was like, hey, I got a bunch of jokes for you. So I go over to his house and we sat down. He has all these jokes and we we sat down and we, we, we worked these jokes out in a way that I feel comfortable telling them. And then we decided that I would wear overalls and no shoes and go on stage and be like, how y'all doing? You know, <laughs> and I mean, really ham it up like. If you watch it, you think, were you that country or were you ham? I was definitely hamming it up, but I have that video. Probably won't share it, but I have it. And uh, and I went out on this stage. Well, the first time, actually, that I did comedy, I was – we had these jokes. We had them worked out, but I was terrified to do them, and I was hanging out. I lived at this building in Charleston near the Colonial Lake called Sergeant Jasper, big building, and I was hanging out with my buddy Kevin Kemp was his name. We called him Sleepy. And uh, – <laughs> And uh, we were pretty. We were, I love southern nicknames. Yeah, yeah. And, call him sleepy. Yeah, we were pretty drunk. And John Brennan called me, and he was like, "He's like, I got a spot that's letting us do comedy. Come down here." And I told Kevin, and uh, I was like, "I don't want to go." And Kevin was like, "He's like, nah, let's go. I'll drive." You know, we're both drunk, but he's like, "I'll drive," and I in my car, and I was like, "Okay." So. We drive down there to this little bar on James Island, and I go in. I'm pretty drunk, and I just go up. There's no stage. I'm just standing on the floor with a microphone, and I half know these jokes. And I just get up there, and I tell a couple of them, and people are laughing. And I'm like, oh, I can do this, you know? So the next time, I have five minutes of comedy. It's at the Music Farm in Charleston. And there's 250 people in there. I go out. I do my five minutes of jokes. And and to me, watching the video, I'm like, all right, that went well enough. But at the time, I, went, I was like, that went incredible. So I, I just kept doing comedy. For, for about a year, I did comedy. And by the time the next uh, – because this was – at the Music Farm, they did a thing called Comedy Free with Kenny Z. A guy named Kenny Z, he's living in New York now. He was doing Cosmo Radio. He's still, he's still around doing stuff, but – he, he, he was the big host in Charleston, and it was Storm and Kenny in the morning. And they had Comedy Free with Kenny Z, where it was a free show, but they advertised it on the radio. And so by the time that came around again, he was like, do you want to do 20 minutes? And so I had stretched my five minutes at this point to 20. And I did the first 10 to mediocre laughter, and the second half, the second 10 minutes in front of – this time, 300 to 400 people. This place was packed. I was doing the second half uh, to complete silence. I did 10 minutes to complete silence, and someone yelled out, you suck. And the place was so quiet that when they yelled that out, uh, everyone hurt. And Charleston's so polite that people didn't boo me or anything, but... I just didn't know what to do, so I just continued to do my material. And then so after that, I did comedy a few more times, but I always did it super drunk, and I just kept bombing, so I quit. And I quit for- You kept bombing. I kept bombing after that. I just couldn't get it together. But you were still doing that weird Southern character. Yeah, and I couldn't figure out how to write jokes. I just couldn't get it. I was just making up all this stuff, and I couldn't figure out how to write jokes, so I quit. And then about three years later, John Brennan called me again, and uh, same guy. Jeez, John is really your guardian angel He's here. Same guy. And I mean, I, I got another friend named John Ballard. Now, me and him were writing jokes together the other day. He's been with me on this whole journey, too. But John Brennan is the guy that got me to do comedy again. And that's when I did that Letters of the Alphabet bit, which is on my album, Making That Fudge. And I came out, I did that bit. And it went so well, I was like, all right. I called John later that night. I was like, this feels great. I'm ready to do this. And that's that's my journey. I mean, I uh, in Charleston, that first time, 
you know, when I when I was just becoming a part of Theater 99, I remember these four groups. There was the have-nots, which is the main group. There was Mary Kay has a posse. There was the bottom line, and there was Fishing with Dynamite. Those were the four groups that were performing at Theater 99. And I remember just going and watching those shows and just being so blown away at this whole live comedy thing that I'd never experienced. I mean, you know, no disrespect to Opelika where I grew up, but this just wasn't happening there. There wasn't this creative scene, and I had never seen this before. And it just really blew me away and was also very intimidating. So I still know so many of those people. A few of them are gone, and I don't know where they're at, but so many of those people are still my friends over, you know, we're talking 15 years ago when I first met them. And it's just it's an incredible, a great journey. I'm thankful to be here, to be doing it, and I'm thankful to still have those people as my friends. And I, li- I still love performing at Theater 99. They have a new location, but uh, it's great. What I love about that story is it's a great example. What we were talking about earlier is that it's people around you, you know, that really help you and contribute. Totally. To keeping you going, to giving you ideas, to motivate you. And this, yeah, I mean, this comedy thing, it's been such a great journey. And it's never been a quest for me to be famous. It's never been a quest of anything, but I just love doing this. I'm having a good time. You know, I mean, that's so funny that, you know, that's my slogan now, having a good time, but that's what it's all about. It's what my whole life is all about, right? I mean, you got to make money. You got to have boundaries. You got to have structure, but you got to have a good time. Mm. You know what I mean? You do got to have a good time. And you got to have good fragrances around, which is why you need to get yourself a Mac Bailey candle. There you go. You know what I mean? There you go. MacBaileyCandleCO.com. That's why you got to get one of them candles. Yeah. I mean, I like a good dim light. Yeah. You know that about me. Yeah. And I think candles provide an excellent dim light and just a, just a lovely ambiance. If you, yeah. if you've had a long week or a long day, light yourself one of these candles. Energy in the room is good. I'm not one of these people that talk about chakras and energy, but a good vibe in the house mm-hmm. is nice. Your home is your nest. Cause I'm out. Being stressed out doing comedy. I mean, sometimes the road, the, the comedy itself is the greatest part. The driving back and forth stresses me. Mm-hmm. I, I yell at people in the car. Mm-hmm. I like to get home and have a cool environment. Yep. That's why we like to have candles. We like to have art. We like to have, um, what is that thing there behind us? That with The little thing? The, oh, patchouli. Oh, patchouli, yeah. I got a little uh, diffuser. Diffuser. Yeah, I've been doing essential some essential oils, oils too. We're doing a little patchouli. My my brother in law turned me on to patchouli and Yeah, Dusty gave me some patchouli the other day and knocked me right out. Yeah. I, I was mean, a little bit suspicious after that. I've been pretty mellow with patchouli. I was patchouli. pretty fired up after I got home from the trip and I think he thought his Canadian wife was a little bit too fired up. Yeah, so I drugged her with some patchouli. He gave me some patchouli and I was out for the day. Yeah. <laughs> so watch out for that though, ladies. Yeah. So, all right. So uh, we've talked about my comedy journey. Next week I'd like to ask Hannah about her comedy journey and how she ended up getting into comedy. Well, you know, what's interesting, just a little teaser is that my comedy journey also started with an improv class. Hmm. I always recommend improv. Now I want to say, I mean, improv is one of those things where it can be incredible or it can be terrible. You know what I mean? And I'm not, I'm not disrespecting anyone. It's just, it's all about the way that improv is taught. The Greg Tavares, he wrote a book called Improv for Everyone. I think that's what it's called. I wish that I had it right in front of me. I would oh it's I, I think it's right up there. I don't know. Improv for Everyone, Greg Tavares. And I mean his philosophy is all about the structure. I mean, he credits Brandy Sullivan with being the funniest person that he ever met. And and I agree, Brandy is so funny. And but he is all about the structure. And he says, you know, he always told us not to force the joke. Don't force the comedy. He said, you're funny people. You follow this process. The funny is just going to come out. And and he's so right. And it's so much improv. I see people just come out on stage and they're like, joke, 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 joke. And it's like, nah, set the scene, set the stage and let the comedy come out. I always tell people if they want to do comedy, take an improv class. Learn the structure. That's why I like callbacks because of improv. All right. That's going to do it for us. I'm so happy that Hannah Hogan's back. Uh, we've had a great time. Uh, please uh, go to our social media, Miss Hannah Hogan, at Miss Hannah Hogan uh, on Instagram and Twitter, uh, Hannah Hogan Comedy on face uh, or her website. She's Hannah Hogan on Facebook. Uh, I'm at Dusty Slay, Instagram, Twitter, 
Dusty Slay on Facebook and DustySlay.com. And go to our uh, – go give us a review, a rating on iTunes. Give us high praise. Uh, and thank you very much, and we're having a good time.